This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. This episode is made possible by Canvas Pop. Canvas Pop makes it easy for you to turn any photo into a piece of art ready to hang on your wall. They can even turn Instagram and Facebook photos into gorgeous canvas art or custom-framed photo prints. If you're anything like me, photos from fishing trips and experiences can tend to accumulate and get lost in the busyness of day-to-day life. When Canvas Pop reached out to me, I realized a canvas print of my fishing trips would be the perfect way to display my photos. Ordering was incredibly easy. I just went to canvaspop.com where I live chatted with Julie from their customer support team. She walked me through the process, helped me pick what size would work best, as well as the best framing option. I even received a proof of what the print would look like before it was sent to print. So if you have tons of great photos just sitting on your phone or camera, Canvas Pop is giving all Anchored listeners 50% off orders of $100 or more. Just use the code ANCHORED at checkout, or you can visit www.canvaspop.com. Don't forget to use the hashtag CanvasPopAnchored to show off your masterpiece. I can't wait to see what you get hung up on your walls. Corley Kenna is the Senior Director for Communications at Patagonia. I met with Corley in California to see if I could learn more about the definition of public land, national monuments, and parks. In this episode, Corley elaborates on the Bears Ears National Monument, Patagonia's current campaigns, and how we can help to make a difference. So my name is Corley Kenna. I'm the Senior Director for Communications at Patagonia. 
I easily have the best job in the whole wide world. <laughs> um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And now you reside in? Santa Barbara, California. Because of Patagonia. Right. We're located in Ventura. And so I live in Santa Barbara. Thank you very much for flying out to me today in San Francisco. It means a lot. Happy to be here. Now I've got so many questions for you. And some of my questions, I'm sure that the listener is going to want to pull their hair out because I admit that when it comes to especially American public land and, and national monuments, I am really clueless. So bear with me, and, uh, and I'm sure you can walk me through this. Yeah, ask away. Let's just be completely honest. I've got you on the show. I'm, I'm sure you have an interesting background, but in this particular case, everybody, I, don't, I do not have Coralie on the show to talk about her fishing skills or her upbringing or her history in fly fishing. She's here because we're going to be discussing public land. It's a really hot topic right now. And it's something I have a, a lot of curiosity with, especially since my latest interview with Donald Trump Jr. that I will be airing uh, at the same time as this interview with Corley. So be sure to listen to both of them back to back. So let's start off really simply. What is going on in the world of public land right now here? Yeah, it's been a crazy year for public lands. And where to start? So for the outdoor industry, things got very heated at the very beginning of the year. The end of last year, President Obama designated a handful of monuments. One of them was Bears Ears National Monument in Utah. And Patagonia had been instrumental in getting that monument established, working with the tribes in that area and a handful of conservation groups that have been active there for a while. And so we were planning to celebrate the establishment of this monument because, like many Americans, we thought we were going to be working with the President Clinton and that we were working to bring Bears Ears to Americans from all across the country who wouldn't have an opportunity to go there. So we were planning this tour. We had created this film in partnership with Google called uh, This Is Bears Ears. It was like a 3D interactive experience. We were going to launch it in March, and that was going to be the kickoff of this like year of celebrating this new monument. Um, well, then we were faced with the reality of the election, and we then had uh, President Trump at the beginning of the year, and immediately were concerned about the monument and was he, what was he going to do um, to reverse the protections that were established. And so going into the outdoor retailer trade show, which is held, was held uh, every year in Salt Lake City, we made a fuss really about how Utah's leaders were trying to have the monument reversed. And we said very publicly at the start of the show, unless you change course, we are going to boycott the show. We're no longer going to participate in the show so long as it's in Utah. And um, a handful of other companies followed us. There was a letter that was signed by hundreds of companies and conservation groups that we published in the Washington Post that basically said our leaders need to stand up for public lands. And, you know, Utah's leaders, though, continued to ignore us. They passed, I believe, two resolutions in the state legislature saying that the president should rescind the monument and take away these protections. And so we continued our call to say, we're going to leave and we're, we're leaving. And eventually, Governor Herbert, the governor of Utah, invited Patagonia, uh, the Outdoor Industry Association, REI, and the North Face onto a call with him 
to kind of work this out. And I think he was surprised by how um, unified we were. And all these companies, which, you know, were normally big competitors, but we were, we did the call from in four different cities, I think, but our talking points were the same. We were very resolute and we said, we are here to tell you that you need to stand up for public lands. And if you don't, we're going to move the show. And so that's what happened. And soon after that, the president issued this unprecedented uh, review of 27 of our national monuments. And so he asked his secretary of the interior to look into how all these monuments were established. They were monuments that went back three presidents. So uh, President Obama, President Bush, and President Clinton. 27 monuments, Hawaii, Maine, included some marine monuments. And yeah, and so that that review process then <laughs> kind of initiated a whole nother round of involvement for Patagonia and many of our other companies in the outdoor industry to you know voice our support and, and uh, advocate protection for these places. So I've got some questions for you. Just, <laughs> that was a lot. Sorry. No, no, it's great. It's really, really great because we're going to slowly dissect all of this. Okay. I guess my first question is: What constitutes a national monument? What What is the difference between a national monument or a national park or just I don't know, privately owned land. I mean, what is the difference between all of these things? Yeah, so there's several different forms of public land in the U.S. and different layers of protection. And it is complicated, but there's something that's special about monuments, which is um, monuments can end up as parks. In fact, 10 of our most popular national parks started as monuments. And so that's why it's so important to keep these protections in place. Now, when you have monument protected status, there's some activities um, like hunting and fishing that are allowed, but it just has to do with the way that the land is managed. Um, And there are different departments that help to manage this. So the Department of Interior being one of the primary ones, but like the Department of Agriculture also. Within the Department of Interior, there's the Bureau of Land Management, which really manages how our monuments and parks and wilderness areas, um, how they're maintained, managed. They um, offer leases to uh, oil and gas companies. They work with the ranchers on grazing rights, things like that. Just back it up and, and help simplify it for someone like me, if you don't mind. What is the, the difference or the difference in the level of protection between, a say, a national park and a national monument? Sure. So parks are protected due to their scenic or education or recreational value. Monuments have objects of historical and cultural interest. Um, And so a monument, uh, national monuments protect wilderness areas such as like Muir Woods, fossil sites, um, and buildings, actual buildings. Oh, okay. And then the National Park Service oversees all parks and monuments. That's why I was getting so confused and putting objects in my head when I was thinking about monuments. Yeah. Okay, well, that's really interesting. So in a place like Bears Ears National Monument, this Mm -hmm. newly created monument, they say there's over 100,000 archaeological sacred sites there. Okay. 100,000. Now, would they be protected then from they being are, dug up? Right, which is our concern. If the monument status is taken away, okay. then they could be looted. And there was already a lot of looting going on around the Bears Ears area. And so that's why it was so important that we get it protected. Let's focus on just the Bears Ears situation. 
Sure. So, so let's talk, talk me through it. Tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> so Bears Ears was created by President Obama. It was, some, some people say, 80 years in the making. So going back to, uh, to President Roosevelt, which is really wild. But um, in its more recent history, there was a group of conservationists, climbers, because there's an area in Bears Ears called Indian Creek that's very popular for rock climbers. So you had the archaeologists coming together, the tribes coming together, the climbers coming together, conservationists coming together and said, you know what, this area is way too special to be developed, exploited. So we're going to work to get it protected. And, you know, they talked through the various options, what made sense, what didn't, management plans, how to accommodate for the ranchers that are in the area the hunters that like to visit there. And they did. Um, and there was a compromise. I mean, I think the original proposal was that the the conservation community wanted was a lot bigger than what ended up being established. But even so, we were thrilled when President Obama designated the area. Um, but almost right away, a handful of Utah's politicians were in opposition and being very vocal and saying that it was a land grab and that Obama should not have done that and that President Trump should now rescind it. Okay, and for what for what usage? What do they want it for? There is, uh, you know, there's some minerals that some um, extraction companies would like to take out. There's a little bit of oil and gas in the area. But by and large, they were just opposed to the federal government stepping in and protecting this area. Okay. Now, surely what I'm seeing on the internet with all of these public land hashtags and all of the movements and Ranella's obvious, I don't know if you know Steve Ranella. Sure. Yeah. So he's obviously all over the public land movement as well. Yeah. This is so much more than just bear's ears. So what what is all the fuss about? Like if you had to explain to somebody who had never heard of public land in their life, what would you explain this public land internet phenomenon as being? <laughs> sure. So um, you're right. I mean, National Monuments is one tiny part of the entire public lands conversation. And the reason why that um, companies like Patagonia and conservation groups have been so vocal on this is because earlier this year, the president took unprecedented steps to have this review period of just our monuments. Has that ever been done before? Never been done before. And okay. there's something like 120 law professors have, you know, said like, this is crazy. And, you know, this process is, you know, potentially already illegal. So yeah, it's never been done before. A review process like this. They started with 27. Secretary Zinke took off a handful of monuments as part of the process, but there's still 21 that he reviewed in his kind of final recommendations to the president. So all of the public land attention I'm seeing on the internet is just, again, this is one of those, remember I told you I'm going to ask you some stupid <laughs> questions? Okay. Yeah. So all the public land attention that I'm seeing on the internet, it is not them talking about reviewing national parks. It's national monuments. It is monuments. But I think what it's done is it sparked this conversation about what the president has the right to do and what he doesn't have the right to do. And so... It's a pretty hot topic these days. <laughs> it has. And I think, you know, part of the reason why you're seeing so much is because it's pulled out all different kinds of people who use the land for all different kinds of reasons who are saying, wait a second, 
this is not right. And if he's going to do this to monuments, what else is he going to do? Which is a valid question. And so it opens up, yeah, a larger conversation about what it means to be a public landowner. And as Americans, we're all public landowners. This is a uniquely American thing, American heritage that we have. And it's really important to who we are. And especially, I think, in the Western states where there's so much public land and it unites us. It's actually, um, it's an issue that uh, has support from hardcore Democrats and hardcore Republicans, liberals and conservatives, um, hunters and hikers. I mean, because I think as Americans, this is something that we hold really dear. And we want to say, I want to take, you know, my grandchildren to these places. And I want them to look exactly the same as it did for me and as it did for my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And that's what these protections are about. It's complicated. um, But at the end of the day, it can be summed up in that we're all public landowners and we're just all here to kind of make sure that they stay protected for future generations. Well, that's fair. I don't know what you know about British Columbia. and, And to be totally honest, I mean, British Columbia has completely different rights than they do, say, in Quebec. But... In BC, you like you can't own like the riverbank, for example. You can't own okay. uh, past the high water mark. Yeah. Whereas I know in America that there are places in Colorado, for example, where you can't even you know put your anchor down <laughs> in a in a boat. Like, yeah. th- is that does that have anything to do with this conversation, or is that an entirely separate? Yeah. Well, discussion? there's um, it's not just lands um, that fall under these monument and park status, for instance, and so. There's, I think, 200, uh, over 200 million acres of marine life that are, were subject to this monument review. So, um, it definitely does extend beyond just the landscapes that, uh, that we treasure. Okay, so let me move you down to this uncomfortable topic then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the only time I'd ever really asked about this or started to, to seek out some sort of education here was when I sat down with Donald Trump Jr. and asked him, and I am going to just go ahead and say, you know, I was very clear when I set up the interview with him that we were not going to talk about politics. Uh, I'm not a particularly savvy political speaker in case anyone hasn't figured that out by now, but I was really interested to hear how he addressed my questions about what was happening in the world of public land. And he, he sounded like he made sense. And the reason being is I called a bunch of friends before I went into the interview with him. And a lot of my friends are actually friends with Trump Jr. They fish with him, they hunt with him. And they said, you know, of all the things to ask him about, if you can get away with asking something political, ask him about public lands. And he was more than happy to talk about it. Uh, you've heard it. Is there anything that you would like to to say to address what what his comments were on that? Yeah. Well, I heard him say something a couple different times that we really agree with. And so I was really glad to hear him say. So he said something along the lines of like, once it's gone, it's gone. And so we really do need to um, have protections in places for these public lands. Well, that's something we can agree with. And not just we Patagonia, but um, I think I can speak on behalf of the outdoor recreation community that, yeah, once they're gone, they're gone. And so that's why it's so important to keep protections in place for these public lands. It's really important. You know, he talked a lot about this idea, which I think is right, that, you know, we could lose people who like to hunt or who like to hike or fish. And they're used to going out kind of, you know, walking down the street and having access to 
um, an area of public land that, you know, maybe they've gone to, their family's gone to for many generations. And he spoke about this idea that, you know, if that land gets taken over by private interests, it will be locked up, closed, and probably changed forever. And then people will, you know, change to golf or something as a sport. And we agree with that too. And that's really why when we talk about protecting these places for future generations, that's exactly what we're talking about is making sure that access for those people who do like to hike or hunt or climb or whatever, that they have that access to do those things. So yeah, I was, I was really glad to hear him say that. You know, I think he tried, um, I heard him articulate that he, his father's administration and um, Secretary Zinke had a difference of opinion with traditional conservatives on this issue. And I think that's one place where uh, I would disagree because I think to date, they've actually shown that they don't. Um, and, you know, I, I don't like to look at this as a liberal or conservative issue because there are some great Republicans who feel very strongly about protecting public lands. But um, the actions that the Trump administration has taken to date in just this first year of his administration have been unprecedented. And, you know, the facts are the facts. They are trying to sell these lands to private interests. And, you know, unfortunately, this difference of opinion is is not bearing out at all. So speaking of, you know, taking action here, <laughs> one of the things I also asked him about was this this rumor that Patagonia is suing the White House. Because on my way to New York, I got a bunch of phone calls from friends <laughs> saying, have you spoke to Patagonia? Do you know they're suing the White House? And I just went, it's all good. I'll ask everybody when I get there. So yeah. what's happening? Yeah. So Patagonia is in a special place in this because we've really been in the fight to protect public lands almost since the beginning of the company. So 30 plus years of advocacy for public lands. And when our founder first started out uh, making climbing equipment, he actually changed course because he realized the equipment that he was making was harming the rocks. And so- And who is that guy again? That I just guy. <laughs> I love him. He's such a good good guy. Yvonne, yeah, really changed his business model because he realized that this climbing equipment was um, damaging the land and he wanted to see this land protected and uh, or for Un- it to unscathed. be unharmed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So fast forward to where we are today, we're in a place where we feel public lands are under attack in a way that they never have been before. So we're being more active than we ever have been before. And yeah, it, if we're, we're also really proud that we helped to establish several national monuments, um, Bears Ears National Monument, but also the two monuments in Nevada that were under review, uh, Gold Butte and Basin and Range. And we feel very much that we have a moral and business obligation to protect these places. And so if the president, for instance, tries to rescind Bears Ears, we'll take every step necessary, including uh, legal action, to see that these places are protected. So we're prepared to do that. We won't know if there's a lawsuit until we hear from the White House. So, you know, I think all of us hope this is a path we don't have to go down. We hope the White House changes course and they leave these places intact, the protections in place. So the current campaign, this commercial really threw me off. I, I think it's fabulous. Can you just explain what's going on there? Sure. It's our first ever television ad. Um, we were really excited to make it. It came together in less than two weeks. Oh, wow. We did the whole thing in-house. And yeah, a couple of us got together on a script, which Yvonne did not use. <laughs> <laughs> of course he didn't. <laughs> and we have an in-house film team. And so they went to Wyoming and they talked to Yvonne and they found a place 
place where he likes to fish. And yeah, they brought out the camera and one day they captured everything and they stayed in Jackson, edited it. And then we were up on air in Montana and Utah statewide um, on TV. We were also, uh, it was produced as a radio ad for Nevada. And then of course on social media. What's the message in it, if you don't mind just summarizing for people who haven't heard it yet? Because I'll play it at the end of this. Sure. You know, this was our, our sort of final attempt to get Secretary Zinke's attention and to advocate for public lands. And it was meant to be inspirational. I hope uh, your listeners found it to be that way. And it was to just say, these are special places. And I, you know, Yvonne has built his business on them. He's found inspiration from these places his entire life. And, you know, we need to stand up for them. And um, and I think that message came through. The response was overwhelmingly positive. People were really pleased to see that we had done this. And, you know, while Secretary Zinke didn't change his mind, um, we'll see what happens. And I think this ad did reach people that we don't normally reach through our channels. And we're really proud of it. I always try to think of it from both sides. I just, that's what I do this show for. I'm always trying to think of it from both sides. So what would the negative response be to it? Why would somebody find any merit in, in complaining about it? Apart from the guys who own, you know, extraction companies and the guys who want to come in to really pillage the resource. Yeah. Well, some people like to say, you know, Patagonia should stay out of politics. Um, would probably like to see me out of politics too. What am I? I'm a Canadian fisherwoman. Yeah. I know nothing about this stuff. But I, but we want to learn. So okay, so yeah. that's one th- complaint. That's that's the that's the one we get the most is you know stay out of politics and. Um, but let's be clear, this actually isn't about politics at all. No. This, it, just as when you talk about this, it's not about politics. This is about protection for places and protecting wild places. And this is us using our voice, which we think is very credible because we have this long history of fighting for these places. We work with all kinds of environmental organizations that are incredibly knowledgeable on yeah. these places. And so when we speak about the need for protecting them, you know, that's a, it's a powerful voice and we have a powerful tool. And so yeah, I want people to know that this is not a Patagonia commercial or advertisement. This is not to sell more jackets. You know, when I've been to Ventura, I, I've, I've spoke to people from departments that the consumer doesn't even know exist within Patagonia. So just to be clear, you know, it's one thing to say Patagonia should stay out of politics if all you guys do is sell jackets. But Patagonia has departments in conservation. Can you just explain internal departments in Patagonia? Yeah, sure. So um, the easiest way, I think, to look at it is just by the numbers. So my team is four people. They're great. I believe our Enviro team is three or four times the size of You just my said it right there, like the Enviro team. <laughs> yeah. Do you right. guys know that they have an Enviro team? This is not an Enviro team of jackets. Like, no. do, do tell. So what does the Enviro team do? Sure. So they do a lot of different things. And one of their primary responsibilities is to um, sort out where we're going to give our grants. So Patagonia is part of 1% for the planet. And as part of that, we donate 1% of our annual sales to environmental groups, nonprofits. And so part of the Enviro team looks at what groups should receive our grants and, you know, what, you know, they have to meet certain criteria, things like that. Part of the Enviro team also, you know, they were why we have, why we got involved with Bears Ears. You know, they, they look at places that really need protection and figure out what makes, what are places that make sense for us to get involved in and why. 
why and then help kind of work with groups connecting different groups so that we can make progress on issues, whether that's in the Arctic or in Maine or in Utah. Yeah. And actually, I should say around the world, we do this. Um, This is not just a U.S. thing. So we are active in Australia and Japan and all over Europe, South America. Yeah. Okay. So what now? In today's (laughs) political climate, one would think the administration would look for an issue that would be unifying for people. And we think this is one. We think this is a winner for them. And they could say, you know what? If the review process was real, they would look at all of the comments that came in and say, okay, we asked you to comment, you commented, and we're going to keep these places, these protections in place. But that's not what they're going to do. And so what happened was Zinke on August 24th submitted a memo to the president. It was kept secret. And we were kind of in limbo for a couple weeks. And we don't know how, but it was leaked to the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. The Washington Post published the memo, and it's a really vague memo. It doesn't have specific instructions for like how many acres should be, re, you know, taken out or something like that. But its intentions are very clear, and so we can say that it would be the largest ever elimination of protections for public lands in U.S. history. There would be less access for people to hike and hunt and fish and camp. The wildlife that depends on these monuments to survive from bears and whales and sharks, they would be harmed. And finally, the protections for thousands of Native American sacred sites would be lost. And once they're lost, they're lost forever. So that's upsetting. And since that memo was leaked, the Department of Interior has refused to comment on it. And the White House hasn't commented on it. So we really don't know what they're going to do. I almost wish we were having this conversation (laughs) in like a month because I'm sure stuff's going to come out in the next little while. Well, we'll be happy to do an update when they... uh, when when we hear from the White House, whenever that might be, we'd be glad to come on again and, and comment on I it. I think I will take you up on that because there is there's just so there's so much of this to take in. Currently there are twenty one monuments under review, eight point six million acres of land from Maine to California, two hundred and eighteen million acres of marine monuments that are threatened. When you say under review, you don't mean how they can make it better. You mean right. how they can take it away. Coming up, Corley and I continue our conversation. Again, thank you to Canvas Pop for making this episode possible. Made in America, all Canvas Pop prints are hand-stretched by their expert craftsmen in their American production facility. What better Christmas gift for the special people in your life than a printed memory of a cherished moment or fish? Again, don't miss out. Canvas Pop is giving all Anchored listeners 50% off orders of $100 or more. Just use the code ANCHORED at checkout or visit www.canvaspop.com. So in the case of Bears Ears, how big is the area? The Bears Ears National Monument area is 1.3 million acres. Okay, so this is, now it really clicks. Because in my head I was thinking, okay, they're taking away national parks. No, Corley said that it's the monuments, but it could turn into parks. So I'm thinking monuments are, you know, things. It's a small area. This is not, that's not a small area. 1.3 million acres, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that, this is a substantial piece of land. Do you see any compromise in it? I mean, if you had 1.3 million acres of land, and let's say that there was only a hundred 
acre stretch of let's say Indian artifacts or something along the lines of that, yeah. right? Something really that that was really concentrated. But then say there were another hundred acres somewhere where there was a, a safe mineral extraction. Is there a compromise somewhere or is the fight we don't want to let them have any because they could just take it too far? So I, there is a time when you can compromise. And that's when these monuments are being established. The issue is that, you know, it took years to get these places established. And it's not as if the president waved a wand and said, now it's a monument, right? (laughs) Right. Like they really worked to figure out what are the exact areas that need protected? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? All of that. And then they establish it. So it doesn't make sense to say, well, okay, now we can go back and take out this strip. (laughs) Like these borders were established very carefully and with a lot of input from locals and experts. And so that's the time when, you know, if, if, if one wanted to influence or come up with the negotiation or whatever, that would have been in the process of having these things established. But now they're established. Now they need to be protected. And Yeah, I agree. I do totally actually agree with everything you just said there. There's been some recent polling that shows that 67% of Americans fall on the side of protecting public lands over increasing oil and gas development. So Again, this is an issue that is uniting Democrats and Republicans, overwhelming support for keeping these protections in place. So 67%, the negative response from the other 33% would, I'm assuming, have something to do with the fact that they feel entitled or they see it being beneficial to have access to these minerals or oil or gas, et cetera. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Do you have a response to that? Yeah. I mean, so what's interesting is a lot of oil and gas extraction is already done on public lands. In fact, 90% of U.S. public lands are already open to oil and gas leasing and development. So only 10% are protected for recreation and wildlife and conservation. And there's also an extraordinary number of unused leases so the, that the oil and gas companies have access to, to drill on these places. And they're not even using the leases that they have access to. Okay, that just changes everything. What happens now? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we are in this time where we're waiting to hear from the Trump administration um, on what they're going to do. And so we're asking people to continue to be loud and continue to advocate for these places. Loud how? I mean, hashtags, yeah, yeah, hashtags. But let's get real. How can they realistically be loud about this? So people absolutely should continue to contact the Department of Interior, tell Secretary Zinke they want to see public lands protected. You can also text DEFEND to 52886. And if you do that, then you'll get instructions from Patagonia on how to contact Secretary Zinke or other electeds to keep these places protected. Wow, that's really cool. Okay, now what about someone like me, a non-resident, somebody from Canada and Australia? Is there anything we can do? Am I being foolish by even paying attention to what your guys' situation? Because I've got enough of my own in my own countries. Is, does what's happening in your world affect us in the rest of the world? Absolutely it does. I mean, first of all, you might want to come camp or fish. I do <laughs> want to come camp and fish. In, in our public lands. Yeah. And so I think there is 
for sure a place for Canadians to voice their support for public lands. Arcteryx is a great Canadian company that's been really vocal on the importance of protecting public lands. And we can be vocal in the same way. Absolutely. So letters. Absolutely. Just getting the word out. For sure. As many people as possible should participate in this. Um, that's the beauty of our system. It's set up that way. And people should tell our elected officials that we want these places protected. This is a really unique American heritage that we have. And um, changing you know, the way that the Antiquities Act works, which is the legislation that Teddy Roosevelt put into place over 100 years ago to give the authority to the president to protect these places, to take that away is, yeah, it's undoing over 100 years of really important history. I just don't see how it's allowed. I just don't, I don't understand it. You mentioned earlier that you can indeed hunt and fish in, in a national monument or, or in a protected area. Right. One of the things that I found bizarre in um, Secretary Zinke's memo to the president is because he said that we should um, change the protections around these places so that people can hunt and fish on our national monuments. Well, you already can hunt and fish on our national on the twenty one national monuments that he reviewed. Every single one of them allows for it. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There is a lot of misinformation, and I'm very thankful to Trump Jr. for helping me. It was cool talking to him because even when the microphone wasn't rolling, he made it very clear to me that his words get misinterpreted. And that was actually one of the main reasons I wanted him on the show. I wanted people to hear it from his mouth so that whether you agree or disagree or like or dislike or whatever your opinion may be, at least you've heard it from him. It has not been edited or cut down. Truly hasn't. It's what he wants you to hear. So there are no, there are no excuses after you've heard that interview. That's what he wants you to hear. And this misinformation thing for me has always really made me skeptical of everything that I see on on the internet, whether it be political or about public land or immigration, whatever it is, right? I feel like sitting down with you, I just scraped the surface. Where I was going with my point about Trump, by the way, was I feel thankful that he put this in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that you're starting to dig away at it with me, but I still feel like I have so much more to learn. So where should I be watching What should I be reading? Do you have any advice for me to further educate myself on this? Goodness. Um, There's a lot of good resources out there. And, you know, it probably makes sense. Um, It's kind of depending on what you're interested in. You might be interested in some of the resources that Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has on their website. They have a lot of great information. The Outdoor Industry Association has a lot of great information about how the economies of the outdoor industry have, you know, how dependent they are on these places. So they have a lot of great information. Um, Groups like Conservation Lands Foundation, the Wilderness Society, they have loads of information. And then if you're interested in a certain place, I would encourage you to look into the groups that are really active there. So um, for instance, we've talked a lot about Bears Ears today, but there's a group called Friends of Cedar Mesa. And they've been really, they were really active in the establishment of that monument. And they have a lot of good information about what's really happening on the ground there in Utah. Okay. Is that some advice that you give to to Americans and, and people who are really wanting to be more active is rather than just write a letter, maybe find 
independent organization who's focused on a particular piece of land that you're passionate about and, sure. and get to work on that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, like I said, I think there's some good kind of one-stop shop places like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers um, or Conservation Lands Foundation. They have lots of different information. And the Wilderness Society. Um, lots of information. There's monumentsforall.org has a lot of good information on their website about what's at stake and how you can take action. So would encourage your listeners to, to visit their website. Okay. Well, I will, I will continue to dive into this and, and learn a little more. So everyone bear with me. I know it's, it's, uh, it's a lot to take in. Some of you know most of this already. A lot of you don't. And, uh, we'll just slowly chip away at it one, one interview at a time. Uh, <laughs> thanks for your commitment to this. It's really important. So um, thank you for having us on. Thank you so much. I can be a pretty cynical guy. The one thing that really keeps me going are these wild places that are the real soul of this country. A great part of my life, I've been climbing and fishing and hunting on public lands. I've been a successful businessman because of the lessons I learned in the outdoors. My business was built on having wild places. Public lands have never been more threatened than right now because you have a few self-serving politicians who want to sell them off and make money. Behind the politicians are the energy companies and the big corporations that want to use up those natural resources. It's just greed. This belongs to us. This belongs to all of the people in America. It's our heritage. I hope my kids and grandkids will have the same experiences that I have. Secretary of the Interior, Zinke, has said he believes in public lands. Let's hold him to it. Let's not let him back down on that. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Stay tuned. In weeks to come, I will be speaking with Land Tawny from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers to help us learn even more. Thanks for listening. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.